It's Thursday, January 3rd. Welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio from MFAM Funds. He's been out for a while, but he's back now. It's Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for inviting me back. Um, well, you know what? We'll get we'll get to, we'll get to why you've been out in a little while because the way you just said that, it sounded like oh, I would have come back sooner, but you didn't invite me. Now you were out for a while, and we'll get to that. I wasn't invited. Maybe I would have come. <laughs> Maybe it would have come in. Who knows? Uh, so yesterday afternoon around two thirty, you and I were on Slack going back and forth, and you wrote something to the effect of, "What are we going to talk about on Thursday? There's not really any news and." Yeah, maybe you know. Well, let's let's figure out what we can talk about. And I think the the news fairy overheard you because because there's a seventy four billion dollar deal in the biopharma industry, and that's not the lead story today. No, no, distant second, distant second, uh, and that's because Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, sent a letter to shareholders, and it went something like this: Dear Apple shareholders. Remember back in November when we forecast that our first quarter revenue was going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 89 to 93 billion dollars? How would you feel about 84 billion instead? And shares of Apple are down 9% today. Yeah, uh, the attempt to sort of uh, spice that uh, bad news up with, uh, by the way, we're going to have uh, an all time record for earnings per share. Didn't seem to work right as well as well. I don't think there's any surprise here when you lower the revenue guidance as much as they did, especially for Apple, which is well known for providing very cautious guidance, largely accused of sandbagging on guidance for the last decade at least. And so when they say oh, 89 to 93, the Usual response is all right. Let's start with 93 and then add a little bit more on it. This is talking about the Wall Street analyst community. Normally, for many companies, you take the midpoint of the guidance as if, oh, we've we've really evaluated this and somehow we've come up with the exact midpoint of the guidance that has been handed to us. 91 billion. <laughs> But with Apple, that you're going to be above that because history has shown you that that's what is likely to come in closer to the reality. And this time, no, no such luck. So, Apple's going to report their first quarter earnings somewhere in the neighborhood of, I believe, February seventh. So we've got a little over a month to go, and Cook gave an interview with CNBC where he talked about. Traffic being down in their stores. He talked about China. A lot of it was about China. Um, he said he hadn't seen the December December numbers yet, um, but clearly the indication was that they were bad enough that they're lowering guidance very early in January. Um, and in that interview, he seemed to spell out two basic challenges that Apple is dealing with: one of their own making, one not of their own making. The not of their own making is. The macroeconomic environment, the slowing of the economy in China, the trade war having an effect, that sort of thing. Of their own making is the fact that they're selling a $1,000 phone and trying to get a lot of people to buy it at the same point in time when, and he made reference to this in the CNBC interview, he talked about the battery replacement program that they did last fall. How they dramatically lowered the price of the batteries. I think it was down to twenty nine dollars, and so you had a lot of people taking advantage of that. 
And because of that, they said, well, I don't need to upgrade my phone. Why would I go out and upgrade from an iPhone 6 to a 7 or a 7 to an 8 when the battery was the problem and now it's fixed? Yeah, I think that in uh, in a lazy world, you would refer to this as a perfect storm. Um, I've always considered that to be among the laziest uh, evaluations of what's going on, is to find three factors and combine them and pr- pretend that somehow that's a unique um, circumstance. But you've got uh, China generally slowing down. You've got China-US specifically being an issue, and Apple in many ways, being a sort of a poster boy for the U.S., uh, and then you've got Apple's specific choices, uh, as you mentioned, uh, being largely around the pricing of uh, their product, and they make better and better products. But there appears to be a limit to which large numbers, or at least sufficiently large numbers, of people will will go in in terms of buying a new phone when the one that they've already got. Is already awfully good, and the Apple's uh, history of being able to encourage people to upgrade their phones again and again and again uh, has taken at least, at the very least, an interruption. And they are talking. Tim Cook is talking about the various ways that they can kind of mask the real cost of the phone by getting people to pay in installments or you know transferring. The, the, of course, it was masked for a long time in terms of what you would pay because the service carrier was picking up part of the real cost, and you were paying for that in your, you know, in your contract with AT and T or whoever, and and that's largely been interrupted, and people are seeing the full cost of the phone and and are hesitating. So this is a stock that, as I mentioned, down about nine percent today, down nearly forty percent. Since last fall, they got all that cash on the balance sheet. When you look at Apple priced as it is today, do you look at it as a buying opportunity, or do you think this thing has further to fall? Because the CEO himself said yesterday, I haven't seen the December numbers. It's not out of the realm of possibility that the December numbers are actually worse than he and his executive team are imagining. Well, I guess uh, to to be wishy-washy, I would say both. I mean, I think it's got further to fall in the short term. And that said, uh, given the cash, the net cash, which I think the letter refers to as 130 million right now, that's about 30 bucks a share. 130 million or billion? A billion. Billion. Because uh, that's a big difference. Well, some would say. Well, three more zeros anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, a day like today, who can tell? But. So, thirty billion, hundred and thirty billion. That's about thirty bucks a share on the share price, and because they're about four point seven billion, so I'm rounding up. It's not quite thirty dollars per share, but off of you take that out of the call it what is it one forty four right now that Apple's going for, something like that. So you're spending about one hundred and fourteen net of of the cash. It's got about eleven bucks a share. Earnings, so about ten times the earnings power of the company, and what are they going to do with all that cash? They're going to keep buying back their shares, which they've been doing pretty aggressively over the last six years. So over the last six years, earnings per share have grown eleven percent per year for Apple, and that's off of a peak six years ago was an interim peak, and the actual net income has grown about six percent. So they've 
not quite doubled their earnings per share growth by buying back uh, what is closing in on two billion shares. They've bought back about 25, 30 percent of the company over the last six years, uh, and they can continue to do that buy back maybe five percent a year of the company uh, with with just cash on hand and the, the cash flow that they're getting, and continue to pay the dividend, which is yielding about two percent. So. Uh, you may see an interruption in their growth. Um, of course, the letter refers to all the other areas other than the iPhone uh, as doing pretty well. Uh, I think they they referred to uh, I want to say either 19 or 29 percent growth in the other areas of the company, uh, and that's that's not bad. So the diversification outside of the phone is a net underneath things, but iPhone's still certainly the biggest part. Absolutely, and the the services business has been steadily growing, uh, and it's it's now, uh, I would say, more than meaningful revenue. But as you said, this is this is all about the iPhone, and as long as the iPhone is not flying off the shelves, then we're going to see days like this. So let me, yeah, just. Uh, Get the number right. It is in the letter um, that revenue outside of our iPhone business grew by almost 19% year over year, which is pretty good. And it is a very large company, the non-iPhone part of Apple, uh, which is uh, you know the, the HomePods and the, the uh, all the the Macs and the iPads, the watch, yeah, the watch, uh, the services. Uh, services were 10.8 billion for the quarter. There's a lot of very, very large business going on outside the iPhone, but the iPhone is the biggest chunk, certainly. The deal of the day is Celgene and Bristol Myers. Uh, Bristol Myers, one of the big biotech companies, buying Celgene. Uh, sorry, one of the big pharma companies buying Celgene, one of the big biotech companies. Uh, to the tune of $74 billion. Celgene uh, shareholders, which I believe you are one. Yes, uh, I am. Um, Full disclosure. Here's what, here's what you're going to get in this deal. You're going to get one share of Bristol-Myers stock. You're also going to get $50 in cash for every share of Celgene. How are you feeling? Uh, I guess I feel better than I did before the day started in terms of Celgene, which has had a rough go of it. Uh, and uh, Bristol Myers is selling off quite a bit, so I and other shareholders will be getting that share of Bristol Myers if we want to keep it, um, as well as the fifty dollars in cash if the deal goes through. I don't have any reason to believe that it won't, but you know, time will tell. Some things do fall apart. It's expected to close in the third quarter. Yeah, and we're I think just at the beginning of the first quarter, right. so there's plenty of time for. <laughs> <laughs> events to supersede. As they say in sports, there's plenty of time to blow this lead. Yeah. Uh, and well, it's not that much of a lead. Uh, it's already so Bristol Myers is down quite a bit. And I guess the question for shareholders is if the deal goes through, do you want to hold on to this share of Bristol Myers that you're going to get in replacement for your share of Celgene? Market doesn't like what Bristol Myers has done, seemingly, uh, which is understandable from the traditional. Uh, metric, which is an acquiring company's shares go down, and the acquire the acquired company's shares go up, and that's what's happening. and And for the last couple of years, you saw that pattern broken a lot, where the acquirer was going up, sort of no matter what. 
Everybody liked everything in the stock market, but we're seeing, first of all, a day in which uh, you know there's a certain amount of uh, uh, you know pessimism in the market, and I think that uh, Bristol Myers is pretty interesting at uh, the price that it's going for right now. So Bristol Myers, just to be uh, to put some numbers around it, stock is down about 12 percent today on this news. Celgene up 25 percent. I was talking with Shannon Jones, who hosts uh, one of the hosts of our industry focused podcast. She hosts the uh, Wednesday episode, which is about healthcare. So, uh, if you're not uh, already listening to that podcast, definitely check it out um, because next Wednesday, uh, Shannon's definitely going to be talking about this deal and probably talking about it in a way with far greater intelligence than you and I are talking about it. I feel really oh, good about that. Easy, yeah, yeah. Um, but one that's of the, damning with faint praise. Uh, <laughs> so I was chatting with her before, and I said, you know, it's is what we're seeing with Bristol Myers just sort of the traditional, as you indicated. Hey, they're the acquiring company. Maybe some people think they spent a little too much money, and that's why the stock is down. She said she thought that was part of it, but also that. Uh, Bristol Myers had been sort of languishing on its own, and there were some who thought that Pfizer might be making a bid to buy Bristol Myers. So, some of what we're probably seeing with uh, Bristol Myers selling off today is the you paid too much, and some of it is the uh, I was hoping you guys were going to get bought. Yeah, yeah, you paid too much. We hate stocks today, and um, now Pfizer isn't going to overpay for you. So you know, we're out of here. Some some people would say those three factors make up a perfect storm. Yeah, idiots are the ones <laughs> who would say that. Speaking of idiotic notions, um, do you think this is the opportunity for Bristol Bristol Myers to get rid of the squib in its name? Um, the yeah, whole Harry Potter thing has uh, kind of undermined the the attractiveness of that. Uh, yes, because in the Harry Potter universe, a squib is what is someone is is a person born of magical parents, but they do not have magical abilities. Do I have that right? You do have that right. Okay, so um, yes, I, I think you're right in part because some people on Twitter today were already starting to throw out polls in terms of like, okay, Bristol Myers Squib is buying Celgene. What what should the new name be? Should it be? Bristol Jean? Should it be Cell Squib? Cell Squib. Not. I don't think that was no, getting many votes. No. Bristol Myers Cell Jean. I. I. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> I've got my. I've got my share of Bristol Myers to deal with now. We're joking about this, but make no mistake. There are oh. actual conversations taking place at Bristol Myers Squib headquarters in New Jersey today. If they haven't been going on already, about what is the name going to be? What is the branding going to look like? Oh yeah, money is being spent. Yes, and if they get it wrong, you will be there to kick them in the teeth for a long time. I and others. Yes. <laughs> if we do anything on this podcast, it's take shots at people who really blow it when it comes to branding. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? You've won a few of those we, battles. We had a couple of victories with uh, certainly Trunk. The people uh, who who came up with Trunk saw the error of their ways and went back to Tribune Media. So good for them. And Oath, is that still around? No, they also saw the error of their ways even more quickly than the Trunk people did, and they went with Verizon Media. What's number one on your hit list now? I don't know. We'll see what these people come okay. up with. Um, uh, before we dip into the full mailbag, uh, you've been out because you've been injured. And you know, the dozens of listeners. 
who have been wondering, where's Bill Barker? Uh, he's been on the mend because uh, surgery was I tweaked required. my leg. I think you did more than tweaked your leg. <laughs> you you shredded your Achilles it's tendon. It's still there. It is there. Yeah, but it's repaired. It's under a cast. Yeah. How you feeling? I feel fine. I feel good. Uh, it's it's a little annoying to be wandering around on crutches. Sure. Uh, but other than that, I'm fine. Since we're we're this is in the wake of talking about one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in America, I should ask. What was the best part of the painkillers? Uh, I actually didn't need them for very long. I, I didn't even need them. I think the day after, uh, because I wasn't up and around very much. If I'd been up and around, I would have needed them. But I was uh, just lying down pretty much and, and not in real any real pain. Nice. Uh, so I can't speak to the the quality of the painkillers that I was on because they weren't killing that much pain. Uh, which is nice. I, I guess that's the best part. Is I just didn't have. I, I had pain the moment that um, I heard everything pop, and uh, that was unpleasant. Right. Uh, that, that is wasn't good. Great. That, that that does sound like the best part of painkillers. Yeah. Just not needing. Yeah. I uh, the years ago when I uh, threw out my back, and I remember uh, after uh, like after a day and a half or whatever, you know, finally seeing a doctor and getting some medication, and once that first. Painkiller kicked in. After the initial, oh, I feel so much better. The next thought in my head was, oh, this is why people get addicted to this stuff. And I was like, ah, I got to get rid of these as soon as possible because they're, uh, they're yeah. Dangerous. I didn't. I didn't just. I just really didn't have any pain uh, to speak of. Um, every time I got up, I had some pain, but I didn't get up much. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You have able-bodied children who can fetch they things can for fetch you. things for me, and I can <laughs> work on a laptop and uh, just lie around for a little while. I had to come back in eventually because it, it does. You need to get out of the house. Absolutely. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Eddie, who writes I have a question about investing for my daughter. She's already out of college and currently working full time, so she's not really a kid. She doesn't know much about investing and has asked me to invest her savings. Do you recommend buying the same holdings you already have for your kids or? Diversify and buy companies you don't already have. She has no interest in this topic at all, so I'm trying to decide for her. Let me start with this. I get that she has no interest in this, Eddie, but I think this is an opportunity to slowly bring her along and get her at least mildly interested, because it's it's it behooves her to get somewhat interested in where her investment dollars are going. Yeah, and not knowing the specific Circumstance, but seeing that she is uh, working full time, I would start with: uh, Is she using the company 401k? If there is one, hopefully there is. Uh, if not, and even if so, is she contributing to an IRA? And so the specific companies is, I think, certainly one of the prisms that our company in general looks through, and and a lot of the people that. Uh, read or, or listen to uh, our work. Think in terms of individual companies, and uh, and that is one way to get somebody interested in uh, something they un- know and understand. And uh, but another way is to just watch money grow. And especially when you first start contributing to a four hundred one k, you're starting at zero, and you're going to see that that amount rapidly grow. Uh, 
uh, because you're contributing to it every two weeks, presumably. And uh, also, you are hopefully getting a, a company match. Now, I don't know that that's going to be the case, that there even is a 401k. Uh, where uh, where this young woman is working, uh, but I do hope there is. And if there is, and there's a company match, and you're not using it, that's a, that should be an easy sale. Uh, beyond that, of course, the the value of a, a Roth or a regular IRA, uh, and and really parents even subsidizing you know their kids if they feel like I can't afford to take that much money out of my paycheck. Uh, a little help from parents is is probably more valuable in getting that habit started early. In terms of specific stocks, um, and I think that that that's another sort of natural place for parents to look is well, I own these stocks, I am bullish on these stocks, therefore I will buy them for my children or put them in my children's account. Um, so that's a natural way to think. Uh, I would sort of split the difference there, Eddie, or at least consider splitting the difference because there may be some stocks that you own that you have a particular interest in and you are particularly bullish on, and maybe those are some that you buy on behalf of your daughter. But I'm a big believer in if it's a bit, the easier a business is for a person to understand, the easier it is for them to follow how that business is doing, and so. Maybe a conversation with your daughter about what she's interested in, what uh, what she has a natural aptitude for, what her circle of competence is, um, and maybe buying a couple of stocks in that direction as well. Yeah, I think that that is good advice to uh, start somebody off on a company that they can't understand, or you know, a bio. Uh, Tech or, or anything like that, where you don't really understand how drugs get approved. Uh, many areas of tech are difficult for people to to process. Apple a little bit less so because uh, they see the phones, uh, and of course uh, they might be. You know, I think buying something that is uh, cheaper than it used to be is is also one way to get people. Uh, interested, uh, but I, I do think that four hundred one k and Roth. So the, the IRA gives you the opportunity to invest in individual companies, and uh, that's that is the place that I would start. Uh, you know, to be invested in a place in an account where you can't really touch the money, uh, or can't do so without a significant penalty, which is going to be the case with a four hundred one k or uh, or an IRA, and knowing that the money that you put in today. Is going to be compounding for roughly forty years before it gets spent. Good a place as any to wrap up. Thanks for being here. Thank you. You can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues. Go to mfamfunds.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.